Welcome to the Red Tree Pod, a project aimed at seeing how grace clarifies our otherwise confusing lives and attempts at reading the scriptures. I'm your host, Davis Johnson, and in just a few seconds, I'll be joined by my co-host, Chris Wachter, as every other week, we come to you to break down an Old Testament passage, a psalm, a portion of a New Testament letter, and my favorite part, the but what about section, where we look at a trickier part of scripture that seems to go against everything we talk about here on this podcast, but actually doesn't. We are glad to have you with us. Back in the saddle of the Red Tree Pod. Chris, it's good to see you, my friend. It's good to see you, Davis. How are you, brother? Uh, I'm doing well here on the heels of the Easters. Yeah. How was Easter for you, Easter weekend? Easter was, uh, it was good. You know, I think uh, as pastors, sometimes there's a little bit of an occupational hazard with some of the Mm. major Christian holidays uh, for (laughs) for several reasons, but uh, not the least of which is just, you know, I I hope we talk a lot about how kind of every day has some Easter realities. And so sometimes when it comes around, you're just like, oh, is this is this meant to feel different or is there a, there's a specialness to it, but mm. what is, what is the distinction there? And so mm. sometimes hanging out in those very Eastery passages a little bit more, uh, can bring some fresh insights yeah. for me this year, Love that. Matthew 28, uh, with the women running to the tomb and, and the number of times that fear is brought into the conversation. I think it's four times in the first 10 verses. There's just like either someone saying, Hey, don't be afraid. Or hmm. just the flat out description of they were very afraid, uh, like the guards who, uh, encountered this angel. Hmm. And so, yeah, I had some chances to open up the word with a few different groups this past week and, and just really camping out on the seeming principle of the attachment of fear, to the, the search for God in the wrong places, like huh. empty tombs, you know, like when we're trying to find God where he's not, there is, there is the natural response of fear. And just thinking about that and all the ways that that kind of serves as an on-ramp to letting God find you uh, rather than finding right. him where he's not, yeah. uh, which is exactly what that passage does. So it says suddenly he appears to them and, and greets them or even says rejoice. Uh, which just has some awesome gospel tones that, yeah, I, I feel like it's been picking me up this week in, in refreshing ways. So how about That's you? really cool. Yeah, I actually had a, a similar insight, actually, and I forgot if I said this on a, on a previous podcast. So that's okay. We can be repetitive sometimes. You actually always are anyway. <laughs> it's gospel every, same, same it's gospel song, every episode. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I, I was just kind of struck afresh by how Jesus uh, also isn't there whenever Mary gets there, but also when Peter and John are running and they have that sprint in John 20 yes. and John takes time to say, I won. You know, I started off a little bit back, but I have a good kick at the end when I run. So uh, it's, it's I, Captain America running alongside Falcon. Falcon, that, yeah. Uh, on your left. It's one of the best memes, yeah, <laughs> uh, that seems to come up annually yes. this time of year, Marvel memes. But uh, but yeah, just that Jesus wasn't there uh, giving out first place medals, you know, mm. uh, to anybody or saying, yeah, you found me. Good job. You followed the clues. You, you got out of the escape room. Nothing like that. It's just he's not there, which I think means uh, the good news there is, well, one, we're not saved by how fast we run, right? And how well we figured out the theological math, but we're saved by a God who's out looking for us even before we're looking for him. Uh, and so that, I think the idea of God not being home because he's out looking for us uh, is a, was a really big Easter motif for me this year that gave me a lot of peace. I love that. Well, since we're already opening up the gospel and preaching the word, let's let's, uh, let's open up the Bible itself. And today we're going to be hanging out in Esther 4. Our psalm for the day is Psalm 32. Then we're going to start a new book in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians. So we'll look at the first 11 verses. 
And our but what about question, where we consider a passage that seems to fly in the face of grace, but actually doesn't, is Ephesians 6, and specifically verses 2 and 3, I believe, about honoring your parents. So looking forward to doing that. But let's begin with Esther 4. Chris, give us the context of what's happening in Esther and maybe some of the louder points in light of the gospel. Sure. So uh, this kind of mid-story, but it picks up with Esther, uh, who was a young Jewish woman. Uh, The people of Israel are in Persia at this time, uh, kind of under oppression and exile from their land, uh, kind of one of the, uh, you know, a uh, few times actually this happens, right, on a, on a large scale level. So it's a common motif for a lot of reasons. Uh, but uh, right here in the middle of the story, we see Esther uh, advocate for her people. This is kind of a part of the uh, climax of the story is when the people of Israel are, uh, the Jewish people are threatened by Haman's kind of the main uh, antagonist in the story who wants to, uh, kind of because he hates this Mordecai individual um, uh, who is a relative of, of Esther's, uh, wants to destroy and just decimate the, the the whole nation in in the land. So it's actually a pretty dark thing, but Mordecai uh, kind of encourages Esther to go because she's loved by the king, uh, uh, because she uh, is is his wife, to go before him and sit and advocate for them to um, and kind of spoil uh, Haman's plot. So um, so kind of pick up at the end of, of chapter four, and I think it's it's interesting. You see, uh, maybe I'll just kind of read here from verses. Um, 12 through the early part of 5.1. Should you maybe do that? Yeah. Um, so in, in 12, it says, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent, silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. On the third day, Esther put on her her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on the royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. So uh, I think a couple things that stand out to me in this is you see, at least typologically uh, and allegorically, is you see Esther as a pretty pronounced uh, type and picture of Jesus in how she advocates for the people here and how she goes before the king uh, in his inner sanctuary, which is kind of interesting. So kind of like a priest before the king, she goes in, uh, even says against the law. So apart from the normal lawful or old covenantal ways of things and and advocates for people she loves. It even says on the, on the third day, she does this as well. So kind of some uh, third day resurrection motif here as well, that God's going to do something powerful and salvific on, on the third day. So, um, so Esther here, I think is, is a type of Christ. It, 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 uh, drives us as readers to this uh, hope that another Esther is going to come in the future. And even at risk for uh, for his life, like Esther says here, if I perish, I perish. Uh, with Jesus, it's even more pronounced, right? Because he's going to be one who will perish uh, for us. But uh, she she enters in like Christ will enter into the inner sanctuary like our high priest and do something uh, apart from the normal flow of things, apart from law and uh, and by grace. And, uh, and with that, 
she will successfully advocate for the people and spoil the 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 plot and and the story goes on from there. So we don't see the end of that, but this is kind of the climax here where we see uh, this is really it. The king, this is where the king says, because of this, because you did this, because of my love for you, um, I'll listen and I'll um, I will. Eventually, as the story goes on, he says, I will um, not allow the people of Israel to be to be destroyed. So, yeah, re- really uh, insightful. And uh, Esther has for a long time been pointed out as a book where God is silent, uh, where, you know, you don't have the mention of God or you don't see his movement, his hands is, it seems invisible in so much of this. Uh, but I think the tools of typology and allowing Christ to speak, especially in more of a Luke 24 like manner where he's interested in, uh, helping us recognize him, right? Like these two guys on the road where they didn't recognize him. Jesus wants to say, do you recognize me? Even in the pages of these scriptures, uh, I'm not being silent. In fact, I'm showing you uh, my hand. I want you to see all that I'm doing. And it usually looks like me. That's one of the ways that we're able to see what he's up to. And uh, especially this language of uh, for such a time as this, I mean, it just echoes of the New Testament's uh, overemphasis on time itself was a construct created by God. So at the fullness of that time, Jesus would bring everything God is trying to say into full focus, especially when he dies and rises again three days later. Uh, that's the Galatians 4 language at the fullness of time. He was he was born under the law and handed over that he mm-hmm. might die and, and, and bring freedom right. to those uh, like us and like these people that Esther is trying to set free. He's bringing relief and deliverance, I think is the words in, in Esther 4 there that I think is just mm-hmm. preaching good news to us. Uh, I, the other thread I, I was just fascinated by when reading Esther 4 uh, coming into this was just this this scepter language. So this is back up in, uh, I believe it's verse 11, where it just says that the king has but one law. This is so fascinating. The king has but one law in, in, in ruling this kingdom, that the people who approach him be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. And so it's, it's, it's such fascinating imagery that, first of all, you just have one law, this kind of almost garden-ish law that if you do this thing, you're going to die. And in this instance, the doing the thing is approaching the king. That's the one lie. You can't approach him or you're dead. And he has this scepter and a scepter is a a very biblical word that comes up over and over again, very messianic, uh, but actually usually looks like justice. In fact, the number of times it comes up, it's all about justice. So you have uh, Genesis 49 that the scepter is not going to depart from Judah but he's going to rule with it over these nations. He's going to cause obedience. Um, the Psalms are replete with this. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom, Psalm 45, 6. Uh, and, and so you see with this, this, this picture of a scepter, it's something that a king wields to bring about justice in, uh, in his kingdom. Uh, but here in this instance, if you caught it, Esther's language is that the scepter becomes the scepter of mercy, that those who the scepter is extended to are those whose lives are, are spared. And it's a golden scepter. It's, it's drawing our attention to this, the, the value of this thing. And it's kind of, I think it's meant to slow us down and just consider that of what a, what a funny surprise that this thing that usually results in the death of people or the backbreaking of nations is now the very tool that is sparing lives. Um, and to me, that, that sounds a lot like when you have the collision of justice and mercy in other places. And that, again, the, the fullness of time brings this about. Uh, Romans 3.25 comes to mind that God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. 
And here it is. He did this to demonstrate his dot, dot, dot. And if I was just to ask, like, what do you think he's demonstrating by presenting his son as a sacrifice of atonement by the shedding of his blood to be received by faith? I think the first words that come to mind are grace, mercy, right? He wants to put this on display, which is true. But interestingly, the Apostle Paul highlights justice here. He says he did this to demonstrate his righteousness or his justice because he had left previous sins unpunished. And so the act of mercy of Christ dying and rising again for our sins, but shedding his blood for us, it is actually a demonstration of justice. Why? Because he had previously overlooked all of the sins of the world because he was going to take them on his own shoulders so that he would become the just and justifier of those who would have faith in him. So, and, and this is the golden thread of scripture that ultimately God himself is going to be just and justifier over all of those who would believe. And here in Esther, you have this kind of hidden golden thread of a scepter of mercy that uh, rings true of what the cross is going to become, where those who who come and learn from God, they're going to obey him and be instructed in his ways. And his ways are dominated by the, the mercy and the forgiveness of sins that he shows. Mm. And this is, this is the father's golden scepter. This is the ultimate king's yeah. golden scepter. Well, that's very, it's very uh, one thing, right? Yeah, like you said before, but it's the scepter too. is kind of this one exception clause, you know, like it's just really interesting that, that mm. Christ, Christ later becomes that clearly for us. There's only one way to be saved and it's, it's his work his, his obedience to his father, you know, so in that way he's very scepter-like uh, as well. So we always die when we go before God, no matter what, we always perish, except when the scepter's extended, mm. except when this one thing happens. And and so at this point, if you don't know the end of the story, it's it kind of harkens you forward a bit and makes you want that story to happen again for you personally and, and for maybe the world and on a much higher level in a way that does away with death in a way that actually lets us see God's face again and dine with him, you know, and where love would somehow overcome as well. Because at the center of Esther is, is there is a love story there as well. It's not always front and center, but you do see a marriage and, and a love that that protrudes, you know, it kind of comes forth and it, it rises up and it seems to cover up uh, laws and the way things normally happen, you know, and it, it opens up ears to what's going on here and uh, why your people are the ones being oppressed. And, you know, and so I always, th- I always thought one of my most consoling thoughts is to picture the one that God, the father loves the most in Jesus is the one who advocates for me, you know, and just how assuring that is, you know, when Jesus says, I've got this guy, or I, I, I've, I've got him, I've got her, I've got this church, I've got this people, I've got my, my new nation of people, the church, you know, like to say, to say that, or to think that God looks upon the one he loves the most and hears that type of advocacy, you know, uh, of course he's going to, uh, right. Respond in a, in a, in a loving, positive, salvific, covering, merciful way and a way that's just as well, but because of what Jesus spends. Yes. And so before we read ourselves into the position of Esther or Mordecai or any of these characters, are we first seeing the one who is saying at the fullness of time, I did perish. It wasn't a question of if it was certainty. It was when, when it was when I'm I'm going to perish. Exactly. And, and, and Jesus is not only a type again of Esther, but of this scepter itself and God, the father, 
father being a picture of, uh, or this king being a picture of God the father. And I love that you brought us to Esther 5 because there is this, this image of the scepter was extended to Esther and she reaches out and she touches the scepter. Mm. And this is, uh, even going back to Matthew 28, that's what the women do who were once afraid, right? When Jesus appears, they go towards him and they cling to his feet. It says they clasp his feet and they worship him. And this, this is what Esther 4 and 5 is calling us to do reach out to the golden scepter that is Jesus Christ. Clasp his feet and worship him today and watch your fear melt, or at least watch the joy that he gives overwhelm your fear. You're still going to be afraid in this life. And that's even in that passage, it says they were still afraid, but they had joy now and it was good. Well, that's a a good opportunity to turn to talk about Psalm 32, because there's a lot of conversation here around uh, really two topics, joy and righteousness and how these are preceded by forgiveness. This is the opening verse of the psalm. It says, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. And the the New Testament picks up on on this, I believe in Romans 4. Uh, Paul is going to quote this and and go out of his way to show this is this is an Old Testament idea. And especially this uh, the way the psalm goes out of its way to say forgiveness is at the root of what joy and righteousness are going to are, are going or how they are going to come to you. Where else are you going to want to go with Psalm 32, Chris? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, some helpful things here, kind of a la Romans 4, you know, um, is just this idea that, that there's blessing, there's salvation and closeness to God when your sins are covered, you know. So when I see the phrase sins are covered, I think, what does it not say? You know, it doesn't say, um, blessed are those who somehow figure out how to stop sinning completely, but it says you're, when your sins are covered up by a foreign object, you know, that doesn't come from you. So very, it's very blanket imagery or clothing imagery. So when I think of Christ or the apostles talk about Jesus kind of like a robe, you know, in the New Testament, I think of that. I think that he is like this, this foreign uh, to us object, right? He's, it doesn't come from us. He's objective to us. It's not a subjective thing that we're doing to cover it up, not a internal thing, but an external gift that we're given. And, and we're just encouraged to put on Jesus, uh, to put on the robe of his righteousness. And and that's what makes us saved, uh, not any kind of moralistic call to uh, clean things up from the inside and, and get our get our act together. Uh, or kind of to go back to Esther 4, uh, we go in this way, we go to God against the law or opposite or apart from the law. I think Romans 3 says that actually as well. The righteousness of God comes apart from law, even though the law and the prophets testify uh, to this coming new righteousness that's from God. It's, it's, it's a type of righteousness that's apart from the law. It's altogether different. It, it comes down in a personified form, being the son of God, walks around us, uh, pronounces blessing and peace, uh, touches us when we're sick and leprous and makes us clean and well. These are all things the law couldn't do. In fact, a lot of times it did the opposite. It, you know, it said, when you're leprous, go away further from God. It actually drove a wedge between people and God. And so you even see things like in Ephesians 2, where it says Jesus had to come to put the law aside. That was the only way to get Jew and Gentile to hang out because it drove the law itself, by definition, drove a wedge between types of people in the same way it did between sinners and God. You know, and so, so Jesus, by his body, doesn't drive a wedge. He does away with the wedge, does away with the thing that caused more problems and incited even more disobedience because we couldn't keep it. And instead just mediates us completely with the robe that he is or the scepter that he is or the, um, the, with the blood that he pours out. Right. Yeah. And this is why Jesus had to deal with the sin problem itself is because we are under this burden of law 
that is directly attached to sin. And, it, and it's calling out the sin that dominates us and the, all of the ways that we're trying to atone for sin ourselves, um, are they run rampant. And so in verse uh, three and four, we hear from the uh, writer of the Psalm that when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And I, I really, really resonate uh, with this imagery. I, in fact, think of uh, recently we were, we were looking at um, the, have you seen the Full Swing documentary on Netflix? All of it. It's so good. It's and really good. we uh, looked at this in a recent sermon in, in Romans, the, the character or the, um, the PGA master, uh, they don't call him masters. It's a Jedi, I believe. It's a PGA <laughs> Jedi. Uh, I think that's right. Professional golfer, Brooks Kepka, uh, is featured pretty prominently in one of the earlier episodes. And he is a uh, image of somebody who is suffering under a deep self-created bur- burden of performancism, of I need to do this in order to be okay. And I just couldn't get the image out of my mind of this guy in this really incredible house. Uh, but he's about to get married uh, to, to a, a woman that he seems to be in love with. But uh, no matter how many times they show them it just at home, right, where the place of, of love and rest really grow and become uh, more by the blessing of God, he, he looks a lot like what's happening in the psalm where somebody is just having the strength sapped from their bones because they're, they can't get out of their own head of needing to do better or do the right thing. Um, or in his mind, it's not, it's not even the law of God that's, that's sapping him. It's, it's the law of his own mind, which is, we'd say is derivative of the capital L law of God. And he just, he looks uh, gauntly. I mean, he's probably 27 years old. He looks like he's 55 and he even, I think, flat out says, like, my fiance will be talking to me and I, I, I just can't turn off the golf. I'm constantly thinking about, thinking about it and it's mentally tormenting. Yeah. And, you, and you, th- you, you normally would think, man, suck it up, buttercup. Like, you're, you got a pretty sweet gig and some awesome things coming your way. Uh, but I just couldn't get over, like, the guy couldn't, couldn't turn it off. He didn't look mm-hmm. like somebody to be jealous of. He looked like somebody to feel pity about because he's right. suffering under this burden and can't even experience the gift of life yeah. that's around him. Did you see his trophy case too? Yeah. Like it was, le- it was a legit trophy case. It was, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it did, it was cool, but it also did, it kind of burdened me too and just made me sad for his wife, you know, and, and for him. Mm. But in the place where you normally see pictures of family, you know, and, or stuff like that, just, it's just this massive, you know, full wall trophy case. And he had spots for trophies he didn't get yet. And so it's just kind of this constant, I haven't done something yet and I'm consumed, you know, over filling this space on my shelf, you know? And uh, so, yeah, you're right. And you can see it in his eyes. It's destroying him. And it's, uh, I think it's a picture of all of us that we all are constantly being tormented and torturing ourselves under a burden of performance that if you are in Christ, God is not holding you under anymore. This is why it's such good news that he says you are no longer under the law, but under grace. Why? So that sin will no longer have a foothold in your life. It'll no longer suck the strength out of your body, but forgiveness itself has been extended through the golden scepter of Jesus himself so that you might have, have the ability to hear the absurd command, like we talked about in a previous episode. What is that? Rejoice right now in the here and now, uh, which also draws me to verse eight. I will instruct you and teach you in the ways you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. And that's a, that's a good place to just ask the question. Like when you think of God looking at you as he's turned his head and now he's looking at you, what's his disposition? What's he like? 
Uh, is he like that sticker or meme that you sometimes see of the Caucasian Jesus who is stoic and disappointed and says, I saw that, right? You just have this picture of one who's waiting for you to do wrong so that he can say, I saw you do wrong and I'm stoically disappointed. Uh, this is not the way Jesus is described by his own words. This is not the picture he's extending to us to say, do you see me as I am? How does he describe himself? As one who has a loving eye on you, counseling you and instructing you in the way you should go. In fact, the, the, what, what's, what my favorite part of Full Swing was, was how many of these golfers actually have a loving dad who's behind them constantly bringing grace into the conversation, not from a spiritual standpoint, but demonstrating it, in fact, on the golf course. Um, they themselves maybe had a dad that was harsher when they would do wrong, and they just talked about, like, they just didn't do anything for me. And so I don't want to do that to my son. Instead, I want to just remind them, you'll be okay, mm. right? When they're in the pits and they're not performing well, it's just like, hey, you're, you're not your golf swing. And the, the overwhelming sense that these guys get, especially some of these winners who have had dads in their corner, just cheering them on and loving them and instructing them the way they should go in the game of golf. It does serve as this awesome parable of God's disposition towards us. That he has a loving eye on you now in Christ mm. and he's not disappointed in you. He's not asking you to do better for him. He's cheering you on. And he said, what can separate us? I've died for you. There's, there's nothing but love here. In fact, what, uh, I, I once heard it said that um, the way to think about the way this guy thought about his kids was not, uh, man, I, I, I know that they, I know that they have these flaws and I've seen them so up close, but I just feel like they're perfect, right? Like it's my kid. I just, I, I just, and I so resonate with that uh, towards my daughter. Like, man, I've already started to see these toddler tantrums and yeah. I, I see him full, you know, I get a front row seat at all this, but I just feel like she is perfect. Like there's just <laughs> nothing wrong with her. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, do you remember when Drew Brees uh, got the, is it the passing record, yardage record? What did he, he got some record a few years ago, the um, quarterback Drew Brees. I, for, I forget the, the record he broke, but it was, they knew it was going to happen. So they had cameras on field and his, his family was there. And his son came up right after he broke it. And I think there was just kind of an endearing moment. But I remember being a little bit disappointed with um, how job focused and football focused his comments were. You know, and I've always had this like dream of like wanting to see maybe it's an, an Oscars speech or, uh, you know, it's a, a moment after you win the Super Bowl or something like that, where the person says to his family, you know what, this is pretty cool, but you, you, you guys are way more important to me. Like saying that to his wife, you know, or his kids, like, I love you so much more than acting. I love you mm. so much more in football. I just want to see that, you know, I'm sure it's been said a lot, you know, but I just, I, I'd love to see that live sometime. I kind of have this, um, this weird, uh, dream or desire to want to be in that <laughs> spot myself, maybe, or I don't know, but just want to, it's, it's a, it's a moving, powerful thing. Going back to a full swing when you see a, a dad just hug his, hug his kid, you know, uh, as well, kind of from the parenting side, a little bit different, but still, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's meant to move us. And the reason there's a reason it does move us is that's because grace moves us. And we know when we fail, when we have a God who loves us anyway, and says so it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Um, that changes everything. Walked your family. If you're listening, Chris loves you more than this podcast. It's true. It's, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's hundred percent. I don't know. I think they probably knew that and they didn't hear that, but it's true. Yeah. This, this little thing we do, but I love it. All right. Well, let's turn to first Corinthians or excuse me, second Corinthians. And we're going to work at verses one through 11. The, um, maybe title that's above all of this is praise to the God of all comfort. Um, and, uh, Chris, where would, where would you want to go with these first 11 verses? 
Well, it's an interesting uh, thing for Paul here. He, um, in a lot of his letters, he does this. He kind of goes back, and he's not bragging. He's just trying to show love. He, when he says things like uh, in verse 8, uh, so 2 Corinthians 1, eight, he says, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. Um, and I think um, it's, it's, when I hear that, I think of you know a very loving uh, guy, who a pastor, really. And, and he, he's looking back and he's saying, I suffered uh, for you guys. And I want you to know that it's, it, it, we don't, it's almost like we, this is a thing we don't normally say, you know, and I think there's a reason for that. I think that Paul here is playing the role of Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he is the apostle in a way. And I think a lot of his letters are meant to be love letters to us. We talk about this a lot in this podcast, actually. That's an important, not that he's not a picture of us as well. And there's a lot of ways he is. And for we'll sure. even talk about some of that today. But uh, in this way, I think he, he's, this to me is synonymous with Jesus saying, look at my scars. I want you to see my scars, you know, not because I'm bragging about what I did, but because I want you to know how much I love you. And, um, and so like, even, even on that, you know, first evening, I think it was uh, in John 20, the first Easter Sunday ever, uh, it's only been a few hours since he rose, but he appears through a locked door through concrete wall or whatever, you know, and miraculously and shows up to the disciples. And the first thing he does is he shows them his scars, Mm. you know? And so I think like, to me, when I see Paul do this, I, um, before I see anything about my life and about my role as a pastor or my role as a Christian or my role as having Christian friendships, you know, I see Jesus in his posture towards me. I see him saying, I don't want you to be uninformed, Chris, about the trouble I went through on Calvary. Like, I don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to be informed about the gospel, informed about my sufferings, because it's my love that will change you, um, not anything else under the sun. Uh, it's it's my love that will shape you. Certainly, and and that's uh, also found in verse six there. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort. I mean, what a gospel proclamation, what a witness to what right. Jesus is saying to you. My distress is for your comfort. This is what the cross means. Every time you look at a Christian church and it has a cross on center stage, it's saying, this is my distress for your comfort from me to you. And I, I definitely, I think the Apostle Paul is trying to put the, the gospel in neon letters for us. Uh, and he is also showing us, like you said, he, he's, he is a type of us as well. And um, I think this whole passage just kind of screams or flies in the face of, in, in a contrary manner of, uh, God will not give you more than you can handle, which is maybe something you've heard over the years. And uh, frankly, it's it's not true. I mean, I think the Apostle Paul here is, is going to tell us that, uh, what does he say? We were under great pressure and beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. So there's definite definite typology, Jesus-like language in that. And he's trying to say, this is actually for our good. And this is the Christian pattern of living now. It looks like you're going to experience pressure beyond your ability to endure, despairing at times, um, even receiving what you feel like is the sentence of death. But the next verse is critical. This happens so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And he goes on to say, and he's going to deliver us again in the same way that he saved us by grace alone. He's going to continue to do this. He's going to, he's going to bring forth the bread and the wine so that we might take and eat and drink and be reminded that we are falling forward, but being raised up. We're falling upwards in, in another sense of, it's like a helium balloon is attached to your back and all your stumbling and feeling under pressure and despairing of life itself is so that you can stop relying on yourself. This is what God is interested in. That you might learn how to rely on the one who has scars, who came back from the dead himself and continues to raise dead and lifeless things. 
encouraging too that this is written towards Christians, uh, about Christians to Christians. You know that we we understand grace, but then again, we really don't. You know, we don't quite. We just never get it. And so, like the the fact that God is at work. Uh, tirelessly working in our lives, you know, whether it's through comfort or suffering, whether it's through a word or an experience to help us understand and feel that it's not about us. It's not about our works. It's not about what we do. It's about, it's about God's grace. And so it's almost like I got this picture of like God working to just gently like unclench our fists from our lives and from performance uh, idols and, and different things like that. It's like, God, if, if God really loves us and if that's really what the gospel's all about, then of course he's going to be at work in our lives, even through difficult things uh, to make us realize that we're saved by grace, not by, not by law. Great. Well, let's turn the page to our But What About section today. This is in Ephesians 6, and it, uh, excuse me, it's verses 1 through 3. Is that right? Uh, I think just, yeah, 2 and 3, but we could read 1. Well, yeah, I, I want to include the children there. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So we have a recapitulation of one of the Ten Commandments, and I think this is why we wanted to address this in this podcast. It seems like you guys talk a lot about a movement away from law to gospel and this being good news, and not that the law is a bad thing, but you're no longer under it. And so that's no longer where you look to for life. You look to the gold scepter of Jesus himself and all the ways that he's changing you from the inside out. And so what then do you do when the New Testament quotes the law? Uh, first of first and foremost, we recognize this doesn't happen a lot. And mm-hmm. so when it does, it's worth talking about and taking interest in it. Um, I love that it is bringing into the conversation just the the command of children to honor their parents. Um, I think of one of the funniest memes maybe I've ever seen or uh, it's up there. If you were, you can even just Google instructions from parents memes <laughs> or parenting instruction memes, and you'll find uh, yourself laughing out loud alone in your mom's basement um, or wherever you live. <laughs> or yes, yeah, hypothetically, hypothetically, yeah. yeah. Uh, but two two that come to my mind are the Men in Black uh, holding up the nebulizer or the whatever the thing is that makes you forget yeah. all the things. Right. Uh, and it says this must be what happens after I explain instructions to my child. <laughs> or the last one is a, is a pie chart, right? A 50% pie chart, blue and red. And it says, how much I love unsolicited parenting advice. And the margin says blue, 50%, not at all. And then red, 50%, not at all, but in red. <laughs> and wow. so I, I think it's worth just starting there of just like, at first glance here, People aren't excited to receive instruction, especially if it's unsolicited. And children themselves have a really difficult time obeying their parents. That's that's for starters. Uh, the second thing to notice is that this is in Ephesians 6, and it's meant to be that. I've heard you talk about this quite often, Chris, is that this is, it's not an accident that the Apostle Paul put this here. He just spent mm-hmm. five chapters unwinding this, the history of salvation, the fullness of time that included before creation was even a good idea, God had you in mind and he had his loving eye towards you and he was going to predestine you to salvation through his crucified son so that you might be secured in heaven uh, from now into eternity. And after we've had a, a robust conversation about that, we can talk about what it looks like for children to obey their parents. But if and only then you have a, a good grasp of what the gospel is and how it works. Right. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think the fact that it's here at the end and not the beginning is is extremely significant. It, it's easy to miss that, but Paul's the pattern for his letters, uh, starting with that, who are you in Christ? Or even before that, what has been done for you? And then what does it mean to live out of? A lot of instructions kind of follow that pattern for for a reason. And so not to, not to talk uh, necessarily in... Um, too much of de-emphasizing terms because this is still God's word, but there is still a sense to which uh, there's more important aspects of these letters than other parts. I think in, in uh, one of Paul's letters, he talks about, oh, when you come see me, can you bring my winter coat or something like that that I left in, I forget where it is, but Colossae or something like that. In, in Minnesota, uh, it's a very important verse though. It, Don't de-emphasize that. It one. is. <laughs> <laughs> right. We use it more up here. I'm getting it tattooed. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, but obviously, you know, I mean, that verse is part of God's word, but it's an example of something that isn't primary, right? And there, there are secondary parts, there are smaller parts, lesser parts. You know, Jesus says, greater things than these will you do uh, to his disciples. I mean, even Jesus there right before he dies, he's trying to give, trying to show that what he was doing is extremely significant between his birth or his baptism and his arrest, but it's not as important as Calvary. And even the things the, the apostles will do in the book of Acts are going to outweigh way, uh, what, what his, a lot of his physical miracles were doing, uh, as wonderful as they were, they were temporal, they were physical, they were washing the outside of the body or healing someone from a physical ailment. And he's saying, you're going to do something better because you're going to heal people from hell and from the disease of being distanced from God and, and the, um, the leprosy of sin. And so in the spirit of that, I think the letters kind of, they take the mantle, they take the baton from that. And you see Paul highlight the important things at the beginning beginning and then talk about the tributaries that flow out of, uh, out of the, the, the main river, um, or, or the main headwaters, uh, uh, after that, you know? And so, yeah, I think you're right. We can have healthy gospel informed conversations about these verses only after we read the first part. And, um, and that's kind of what you see Paul do here, right? You see in, in, in chapter five, he is talking about wives and husbands as a picture of Christ's love for the church. So husbands, love your wives. Wives, reciprocate that love, uh, respond to it, uh, respect your husbands. It's a drama. It's a demonstration. So it makes sense then you'd see uh, another uh, aspect of family life in, in kids and, and parents having that same kind of thing. When kids are honoring their father and their mother, it's like they're actually a picture of honoring God. And, and that's why I think you see this promise uh, listed here where Paul says, uh, it's the first commandment with a promise, uh, verse three, so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. Like if you're following Paul's like typological way of thinking here, what he's really, I think, saying like beneath the covers is that when this is happening healthily in a family, it's a physical demonstration of the church honoring God for saving them from their sins. And that's what gives us life on the new earth um, that on, uh, on the other side of all of this, which we all are longing for. Thanks for joining us. You can find us online at www.redtreegrace.com. Audio production for the podcast is provided to us by Brendan Wickstrom and website support via Nolan Bauer. And if you like what you heard, please do drop us a rating or a review on iTunes. Or don't. Either way, we will see you next time on The Red Tree Pod.